Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. In mid-October, our web editor, Nicole Raleigh, and deep dive editor, Eloise McLennan, traveled to Nice for the Reuters Pharma event. The following is a conversation recorded on-site with Nicole, Eloise, Virtual Science AI CEO, Thomas Hughes, and VSAI's VP of Global Patient Affairs, Geraldine Riley. They discussed key takeaways from the event, major trends in the space, and our guests work at Virtual Science AI, using technology to help life sciences companies create virtual patient advisory boards. They also discussed Thomas's background in pharma and how it informs his current work. And stay tuned for the second half of the episode, where Nicole speaks with Sabine Hutchinson, CEO and co-founder of Seuss Plus, about the Dutch consulting firm's work with smaller life science companies. So we're here today with Virtual Science AI, and we have Thomas Hughes, CEO, and also Geraldine Riley, who comes from a sort of patient care, health-centric background. So to start with, we just sort of want to know what has your experience of Reuters Pharma 2022 in Nice been like so far, um, as we draw to the close of day two. Thanks, Nicole. It's great to be here. It's great to be a part of it. It's been a really positive experience the last couple of days as we draw to a close of day two. Um, it's been great to come together with industry peers. And for me, I've been in and out of different sessions learning about the evolutions across different functions in the industry. And it's been really uh, amazing to have moments with uh, different industry peers just to sit down, have a coffee, have a chat and get into some really good discussions. So for me, it's, it's been a great conference so far. And has there been anything particularly enlightening or of interest during the event for either of you? I've absolutely enjoyed going to the medical sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been really great tracks. Um, my background is in medical affairs, mm-hmm. and so it's a real passion. So it's interesting hearing the current challenges that people are facing. I think medical came out of the pandemic with a really strong hand. Um, they've had much more access to their customers but they're looking to transform how they perform. And that's something that we're really interested in as an organisation. So that's been great. Mm -hmm. It's been really sad that you've had four amazing tracks running simultaneously because we've not been able to get to everything we want to get to. But, um, you know, that's being back live, isn't it? It's very encouraging that there's so much going on that there are four tracks. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's been just, you know, so much fun exchanging stories outside of the tracks as well and uh, looking at the orange spots to say what's really important and the consistency is really remarkable. And if we focus in on your work now, your website says that Virtual Science AI uh, offers a next-generation advisory board as well as insight management solutions can you tell us a little bit more about how important those are sure so virtual science ai provides advisory panel services and what makes us different and completely unique is how we capture and use that data that comes out of advisory panels so we capture and aggregate all interactive data voice to text text in online forums it runs into our medically tuned ai models which produces almost instant insight analytics. So for teams, whether that's medical affairs or different functions, they're getting faster, more accurate and actionable insight reports. So they can make decisions whilst they're uh, in the field, then? Absolutely. You're getting uh, rapid uh, answers to your questions through these AI-driven insight reports. 
Um, can you give us an example of past issues with current advisory board communication processes, the data capture, and its strategic use, and how your technology assists overcoming this? Yeah, sure. I think there's universal acceptance and certainly listening to the conversations this week, as well as my own personal experience. Some of the challenges that we faced are driven by organisational dynamics. So some of that means that there can be multiple ad boards running over a very short period of time by different cross-functional partners, maybe not aware that the others are running those, maybe sometimes even with the same customers. So that's really not very good practice. In addition to that, the length of time you wait for reports to come out is really quite challenging. If the report doesn't arrive until six weeks after the event, sometimes things have moved on. Often the data's moved on. And so the insights that you wanted to think about at the time might not be relevant. The other thing universally, it seems, is the reports get filed somewhere. Sometimes they're on a SharePoint, but people don't go and find them. And nobody wants to read pages and pages of information. What we're doing at VSAI is really making sure that the graphics that we use, the way that we display that data coming out of the, of the boards is really appealing visually. And you can go into it in as much detail as you want, or you can look at the top line. But it allows various views of the data. You can take a global view. You can take a local view. And we can share it really well on the forum across the entire organization. So we take a really big view of the companies and say, look, this needs to be an organizational view. People need to be able to think about this really from a big data mindset, not just in the local functional zone. Yeah, and yeah. to add to that, you know, we know across the industry there's hundreds of thousands of advisory boards taking place every year. In a large pharma organization, there's thousands taking place every year. But there's a real unmet need in connecting the dots in the advisory board reports. And that's really what we do. So whether there's an advisory board taking place in Germany, the US, Italy, Spain, the UK, across the world, we're able to capture that data, aggregate it and provide organization-wide dashboards so that teams are able to share information better and make decisions quicker at an enterprise scale. And connecting the dots is something that we've heard quite a lot at the conference. It's that we have so much data, there is so much information now available. So is creating that ease of use, and as you say, it's almost tailoring it, but on the customer's own, on, the, on their own merit, really. They can choose what, what information they seek. Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah, absolutely. They really, you know, each functional area has a different need for that data. They need to respond to it in a different way. And, that, and also that applies to the patient data as well. For example, if you have a patient board and they bring those insights in early, but at a TPP target product profile moment, you can adapt your protocols, you can make sure that your consents are appropriate, you can make sure that your visiting schedule, all the things that really are barriers to populations uptaking clinical trials, you can address them really, really in a timely manner. And we've, we've heard the word uh, asynchronous, uh, a lot spoken about at this, uh, at this event. But when it comes to engagement generally in the in the industry, with regard to communication forums for end-to-end -end services, can you just give us a little bit more information about that? Yeah, I'm happy to make a comment, and Geraldine, if you maybe overlay. But so, I mean, before COVID, most advisory panels were taking place in a room, right? Um, whether that's at a hotel near an airport and you're flying the key opinion leaders in, it might be the top 10 key opinion leaders in a disease area, and you're all meeting in a room. 
you come together, there's a flip chart, potentially two people only speak, right? And then, you know, you go away from the event and, you know, th there might be a medical writer, you know, trying to get a notes out really timely fashion. Um, but, you know, it, it can take some time. What we saw in COVID was that there was a real propellant to virtual engagement. So it was something like 90% shift from face-to-face -to, -face to virtual. And one of the formats in the virtual world that healthcare professionals and stakeholders are preferring and are moving towards is this asynchronous discussion. So this is like an online forum um, in and around sort of virtual calls or face-to-face -face meetings. And really what it allows is for participants to contribute at a time that works for them. It allows more diverse groups to come together across the world. So you get more diverse perspectives and input into discussion. And, you know, actually what it leads to is increased insight generation. So then when you are looking, you're feeding your AI models with that data, there's more data for the AI to play with to give you more useful information to make better decisions. And moving from that, um, as you say, in a room where you may have two people speaking, are you finding you have more engagement from a wider perspective of people? Because it takes into that psychological element of not everybody is a great public speaker. But when you go onto a, a hybrid platform, it takes away that pressure. Do you find you get more, um, not so much honest feedback, but more clarity over the, the, real, the reality of the environment rather than a snapshot? I think on, there are, are so many different levels that you could talk to this on. I think one of the things that's really important is you can see who's contributing. So you often in an ad board, you might have a dominant voice or two. It's not necessarily the shared opinion of everybody, but with that dominance, it's very difficult for people to contradict depending on who it is. In an asynchronized platform, um, people are able to make their own comments. Um, the, uh, the tool is able to interpret both written and verbal uh, inputs and sentiment. So really, it takes in all of that information and you get a much, much more rounded view because you have everybody's opinion. And at a time that suits them, um, often you're at AdBalls and people are really distracted. They're on their laptops, they're on phones. This way, when the kids are in bed, when you're not worrying about a medical emergency that's just appeared, people can take the time to really think and analyse and look at materials and work that you're doing. So you get a different level of engagement. And, and just to add, for patients, it allows them to contribute in the comfort of their home, right? Um, you know, there's still a transition from asking patients to come into an office when it can be quite tiresome and uh, difficult travel for them. And this virtual interaction allows them to contribute in a more comfortable space for them and their carers. Yes, I actually heard earlier that there was a difference between online to online honesty as opposed to face to face with your clinician. You might hold something back. So there is that sort of... Well, the patient might, might not speak to a clinician in the same way that they would speak to their friend or their carer because they just don't have the, the space for those conversations if you think about you have 10 minute windows to see patients mm. if you miss a question there once you leave that room there is very little opportunity to address that whereas forums I imagine have much more as you say availability to engage when and where you can it's, it's just opening up a wider range of opportunities for engagement. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things we have to think about, particularly with the patients, is 
Some of the patients can't travel because of their health. Some of the patients can't travel and be in the same room as other patients because of their condition. There are so many other barriers that are there that this allows you to really have that much more diverse and inclusive group of people attending whatever you're doing because you've removed one of the barriers. Although clearly it's really important that we're helping people to be able to use the technology, that we're giving them the support around the technology, and that we don't just leave people going, well, we spend all our day doing it, so we know how to do it. We really need to make sure that we're being inclusive and considered when we're asking people that don't spend their daytime doing that, that we make sure that they're able to use those tools as well. I just want to sort of circle back to the foundations of virtual science AI. And Tom, you began as a medical sales representative in the UK and spent a fair amount of time working for Pfizer. The stance makes sense now. Yeah. The, the salesman starts. He's got his hands clasped in front of him, <laughs> legs of shoulder width apart. He's gonna he's gonna tell you about a product. <laughs> yeah, we just sort of wanted to know about your journey in digital transformation from there to here. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I've had the privilege of working for Pfizer uh, for many years in, in various sales and marketing management roles across the world. And one of the things that I always found a challenge was that when we were launching new drugs or taking action to advance drugs at the, the point they were in their life cycle, it was often difficult to get the information to inform those decisions in a, in a quick way, right? And then when I left Pfizer, I joined a a data solution company in a very senior role, and I helped to take that organization across the world. But what I noticed was that um, when uh, COVID-19 propelled these virtual engagements, it actually propelled the problem of sort of capturing and making sense of, of this of data to make better decisions. So when I looked into this area and I reflected on my days at Pfizer and where things have gone with virtual advisory boards, you know, it really highlighted a need for solutions in this space to do mm. things better. So that's what really led me to this area of virtual engagements and insight management to, you know, really help transform this area for the better. And Geraldine, you joined uh, VSAI very recently in uh, March this year. Is that correct? That's right. So what drew you to the company? Other than Tom. Other than Tom, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> well, actually, I've just really enjoyed being part of the startup situation of creating something that really is a solution to our customers' needs. So having worked with both patients in my last role and then also with opinion leaders all of these years and being frustrated by not having access to timely, accurate information that you can act on those insights, listening to my colleagues constantly still telling me that that's a problem area, being able to work on something that has the potential to be a great solution is very, very exciting. So that's what drew me there. And what progress have you seen in terms of um, patient engagement with AI technology? Going back to Tom's point about it, it used to be everyone in a room, it's a very, very professional setting to we're now in your home. You can talk to us when you like. It just removes an awful lot of barriers. You know, when I can think about patient engagement activities that we did where we brought everybody together. Now, there's an awful lot to be said for bringing people together, and we love it. Look, we're here, and we are absolutely enjoying all being together. But we are also a little bit exhausted even after two days. <laughs> so what we see from the patients is when they don't have to add the travel, mm -hmm. and, of course, you know, 
the restrictions that we have with you know compliance means that there isn't a big building time for the amount of time people can either be at a meeting before or after anymore. So being able to do that in your own time, in the comfort of your home, getting used to those the technical aspects, people just are, I think they're just so much more willing to be part of that engagement. Was addressing patient burden a key element that you wanted to address with, with the company? Because it sounds very much like you are aware that any request that you have of a patient to give information or to give data, it comes on top of their daily lives, of their condition, managing their symptoms, work days, children, and then to come home and say, I need to go and check in and go to this this event. Was was that something that was an a, a inspiration for you? Uh, absolutely, because that was the bit. I've been working with um, PFMD, Patient Focused mm-hmm. Medicines Development, um, and, and they're so clear with us. You know, you have to listen to your patient, what they're able to do. And patients come in all shapes and sizes, just like the rest of us. There are professional patients. There are patients that are part of associations. There are So, you know, it's so important, just like with anybody else, we have to really think about who you need for that engagement, what their expertise is and what they're able to do. But if you do it on the patient's terms and you co-create with the patient's, you're really much more likely to get a successful outcome for everybody. That idea of co-creation seems to be something that we come, we are coming back to a lot. We've heard it so many times here. So how do you co-create with that? Well, I think it's, um, it, it is a skill and it's something that people need to understand and learn. Groups like PFMD have put the most amazing materials on their website that really give a very systematic way of going about doing this. And uh, there's the book of good practice that you can adhere to. Um, in my previous world, I would ask any agency that were working with us to adhere to those principles. So we made sure that we were thinking about how you did that from the very get-go. Sometimes that meant that the idea you had really changed completely when you had that first engagement with the patient. So it really is about listening. And I think that is one of the things that have come out to me really strongly here. There's not many things that you would create without involving the potential end user, the customer. Why would we do that any differently in in health if we really want to get the right tools, drug, injectable, etc. for the patient. You need to listen to the patients. So I just want to loop back to the word expertise and in particular your expertise, Geraldine, because yesterday when I was chatting with you after day one's events, you mentioned to me that you knew Pharma Forum's founder, Paul Tanner, and that you knew him from the time you were working at Gilead and he was doing some work with you. So can you tell me a bit more about that time? I can tell you that um, it was an absolute pleasure and um really you know he's he's a marvelous he's a marvelous person and um it was we were working on a project looking at how coming through the pandemic what we could do to really make sure that we were addressing customer needs talking to our customers supporting the teams internally and he just helped to shape our thinking really developed where we were going with ideas um i mean it was just Really, we're full of admiration for him and, and his publications and you yeah. know what he's been leading here is remarkable. So yeah, a lot we had a lot of fun, by the way, along the way, as I'm sure you've experienced yourselves, because <laughs> that's impossible not to do when you're working with him. Um so virtual science AI has two products, right. I think. Is that correct? 
Yes, yes, there's two main use cases for our products, and that's healthcare professional panel um, services, and then we also have the patient panel services. So we um, find that they're the main use cases at the moment for our products, and we help to deliver these panels for our clients across both of these groups and provide the instant insight reports. And how, how does it actually work in practice? So you've got a patient or a clinician who is in their office at home, they have the, the forum in front of them. What do they do? Yeah, so we have a platform. Um, and what we do is we assemble panels to, to meet on our platform. And then we uh, co-host the activities with our clients. And they run over time. So it can be you know an initial two-hour call, followed by a week of, of work in the asynchronous environment, followed by another two-hour call to get consensus. Um, followed by your insight analytics. And, you know, we customize the approach depending on how fast our customers need the insights or the participants to meet their needs as well. So we take a very customized approach with our clients. Sounds like the old Athenian democracy where uh, everybody would gather on the hill and you'd each get a turn at talking. So it sounds like you've, we've gone back to a, a shared idea space. Yeah, I'd say that's fair to say, actually, where whether that is you're participating all together, speaking at, at the same time, or whether you're sending in documents for review and commentary, but everybody gets to share a voice however they want their voice to be shared. Yes, essentially it's all about communication. So that's been a key point made here at Reuters Pharma. And um, I assume it's definitely, as we've been discussing, the key driver, potentially, Tom, behind what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, not only is communication important, data is very important. So, you know, really what we're doing differently and what sets us aside from others in this space is how we capture and use that data in projects and at scale and then communicate that data across the organization. So teams are making, you know, they're getting access to more meaningful reports so that it can make uh, better decisions across their enterprise. And yesterday at the, the Reuters event on our day one, we concluded with a survey which had the results that AI will be a further critical expansion point within the industry over the next few years. Now, you two have a little insider, not insider training, but insider knowledge. Where do you see AI in healthcare within the next decade? Within the next decade. That's so, quite a long period of time, right. isn't it, in this <laughs> but industry? It is. but yes. if you look at, how, as, as, as you were saying, Geraldine, the time difference between people talking about we need this data, we need to increase patient centricity, and then the reality of those, those platforms appearing on the market, it can be substantial. Mm. So there could be, about 10 years ago, would we have had the level of uh, uptake in telehealth that we have over the past year? I think some of the discussion in that medical forum yesterday, and actually just throughout the entire conference, by the way, has been people don't want to do digital for the sake of it. And I think that had happened a few years ago. Everybody wanted to get on the bandwagon because they felt they were being left behind. Then people stopped because they were really scared that they weren't achieving what they needed to achieve. The message that I'm hearing here and what has to take us through the next decade is whatever we do has to be meaningful, has to generate really important insights that are actionable, 
has to be easy to use, has to be used across the organisation so that all of those systems align. And I think that's where we're heading for the next decade, absolute alignment of the digital experience internally. We kept having people that were nominal digital leads and that meant that people sat back and waited for somebody else to do something. And now I think we're at a point where everybody says, okay, this is part of the way that we're going to be working for the future. It's everybody's responsibility to think about it. And now let's shape what our organisation needs for it. So whatever we all bring, it has to be something that's going to be really, really meaningful and insightful and not just a, I'm doing something digitally. And Tom, have you got any specific ideas for virtual science AI itself? Not perhaps in 10 years time, but next. I think it's exciting to share that recently we've secured a significant amount of capital from a venture capital firm in, in London and super angels that are involved with the company and who've got a, a lot of expertise in the tech space and health tech space and taking those organizations across the world. So, you know, we've got some great support. So for, for us, for the next 10 years, we're going to be taking our solutions more broadly across the industry. And when you look ahead for that next 10 years, what excites you about the prospect of development in this space? Why do you get out of bed in the morning, Tom? Well, you know, that's a big question. <laughs> I think I've always liked to challenge the way things are done, to look at things, to say, could we do this better? And I think we've got a solution that is different and allows us to get out of bed and speak to people and have discussions about how we can help them do things better. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was just enlightening for me. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Next up, Nicole speaks with Sabine Hutchison, CEO and co-founder of Dutch consulting firm Seuss Plus. She describes her own journey from scientific academia into supporting and enabling the growth and development of smaller life sciences companies, especially within biotech, on a global scale. A female-led and owned organization with an all-female management team, Seuss Plus led a breakfast workshop at Reuters on giving a more audible voice to women's health issues. Sabine volunteers for the nonprofit Healthcare Business Women's Association, HBA, which is focused on supporting women and gender equality within the workplace. She says she wants the language surrounding women's health issues, such as menopause and endometriosis, to not continue to be deemed taboo. Nicole and Sabine discuss also similar steps being taken by Sandoz and Novartis in this area. I'm speaking with Sabine Hutchison, CEO and co-founder of Zeus Plus. And to start with, do you want to tell me more about yourself, Sabine, before we go into the sort of finer details of your company and why you're at Reuters Pharma 2022? Sure. Happy to do that. We are um, a small consulting company based in the Netherlands. We uh our goal is to help organizations grow, whether it be biotechs and their asset development or organizations that are looking to expand their services, their employees, grow staff, um, develop, grow their locations. Um, so we, we um, have been described as an enabler for organizations so we can come in and support in various phases of growth and development. Okay. And how did you find yourself sort of going into that, um, your own personal journey mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm from the U.S. and I started my studies in chemistry, but I also realized that I love science and I'm curious. My parents raised us to always ask questions and to be mm-hmm. curious about everything we do. However, um, I didn't want to be in the bench. I didn't want to work in a lab my entire life. So I've switched over to the business side of things, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, I love bringing the science and the business together. Thus, in the healthcare industry is a perfect opportunity to do that. And I've worked um, in the service provider industry for 20 some odd years and decided uh, 10 years ago with my colleague, uh, Karen, that we needed to start a, we needed to start a company in order to support others in their growth and development because we saw gaps in our own organizations. And also when we started our business, um, we saw there was, there were so many support services that we needed that weren't available. So we've adapted and brought in some of those ideas and to help other companies grow. Okay. Do you want to be more specific about some of that adaptation or? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of our um, one of our areas is we offer we have life science consulting, and in that space, well, actually, there's there's two there's two pillars. One is life science consulting, and one is organizational development. And mm-hmm. they may sound um, very polar, and they that they don't match, but actually they do because when we work with our biotech organizations, they have an asset that needs to grow and that needs to be brought to the market and commercialized. So we help them find gaps in what they need to do. That often our our clients are smaller organizations, so they don't have the resources in-house to um, to do all the activities that are needed to grow a business mm-hmm. and grow their asset. So the organizational development side of our business actually helps them grow their organization as well. So they have to hire staff, they need to bring individuals mm-hmm. in, they need to onboard. They've probably never done that before in their uh, in their career. So we help them bring all of those pieces together. Um, train their staff, um, find the right fits, um, and then to, to, to homogenize their teams and to bring them together to be a strong management team moving forward and growing the company. I looked at your website earlier, did a bit of research, obviously okay. before this discussion today, and it said that you've worked with more than 211 life science companies in more than 19 countries. Yeah, so that's correct. Was, um, Going on the geographical element, Mm -hmm. was there any difficulty in helping any of those life science companies? Mm, No. Um, For us, it's always clear to find out what they need. So we have goal-setting sessions with them, and we help guide them in those those decisions and come up with a blueprint. And we feel as long as that blueprint is clear and you know the goals that that the organization needs, then some of the steps may be difficult, but you know the path that you need to take. And then you can plan in those difficulties and those risks that happen throughout the process. So um, there are always going to be bumps, but as long as you have this goal, um, the, the goal and the blueprint to, uh, to take you on the path, and it actually works quite well. Great. Yeah. So going back to actually what the tannoid was saying about workshops starting again, yeah. you had a workshop this morning. Yes. And can you tell me more about that? And its yes. Focus? Uh, yeah. It was a very exciting workshop, and I did it um, uh, Aside from my day job, I also volunteer for the Healthcare Business Women's Association. It's mm-hmm. a nonprofit organization that focuses on um, supporting women in gender equality and gender equity. So it's, a, it, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And what I love about this organization is that I can bring that passion around supporting women in their growth and development um, into the workplace as well. 
So uh, what we the session that we had on this morning, and the topic was uh, we wanted to be a bit provocative. It's the title was how to not f up conversations around women's health to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, because we believe that we need to be having conversations and words like menopause, menstrual cycles, mm -hmm. fertility issues need to be common. They need to not be taboo. Mm -hmm. And if organizations can learn and feel comfortable with those conversations with their employees, employees will develop better. They'll be happier within the organization. Um, and they'll continue to be high potentials within within um, companies. So that was the main theme. Okay. And uh, yeah, we wanted people to to feel comfortable talking about these topics with their employees, not just with patients. I think what's interesting in the last couple of days of this Reuters event is that there's a lot of talk and a lot of discussions around patients and, and getting close to them and understanding their journey and having clear pictures of that. However, there's a shift sometimes when we go, when we're thinking about a patient and then we shift to having these conversations with employees, all of a sudden those words don't come out as fluidly as they did as when we were talking um, with individuals from the mm -hmm. patient side. So it's it, we want to help organizations make that shift and have these conversations internally and to make it be comfortable. Definitely. I mean, I noted that your company is female-led and yes, owned. Is it are. sort of... I don't suppose it's fully female as an employee base, but but there are quite a few. There, there, we're, we're very heavily um, female, heavily female. Based, yeah. Um, not because we want to be. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 want it. We believe in diversity, mm -hmm. um, and it's just evolved. I think in that way that we have a strong, very strong. All, our management team is all women. We've looked for males to come aboard. It it, it hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. um, but we have quite a few business consultants that are male on the team, uh, and we continue to want that and. Uh, have that area grow as well. So we look for diversity and sometimes that can be in personalities. So we have very, very diverse personalities in the team. And so we welcome that because it challenges us. Mm -hmm. I had a meeting yesterday where um, there were five people on the call and everyone is just so different and brings a different perspective in, but it makes our commitment and our, and our um, output, what we give our clients so much stronger because each person has their, has their piece and that adds strength to the, to the end product. Definitely. I mean, yesterday, were you able to um, attend Sandos's talk? So that was Claire Deborah. Yes. 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 She was fabulous. And, um, and I know Sandos and Novartis as well. Um, so I know that they're taking a lot of stride, a lot of steps. And I, and I, and I liked her, um, her take on, on, we need to look at data and I in that, but we mm -hmm. also need to look internally and in how, mm -hmm. what discussions we're having about gender parity and, um, and supporting also women. Um, moving forward in the workplace and it's discussions for instance somebody gave uh, someone said at the meeting this morning um, that he had someone on his team present at a management meeting she was going through menopause she was having a day where it was a struggle we know that their hormones you know there are issues associated with this so she was struggling with that when she left the room she had to leave a couple of times his colleague said she's lost it and those kind of comments not are not helpful. What would it be like if a man were there to be like, oh, he's maybe having an off day. Let's talk to him and see what we can do to support. Mm -hmm. But that they said to her, she's lost it. That it, it, it's, it's this type of education that is so crucial. And we actually are looking at going into management, um, mm -hmm. organ, to management teams and starting to do some education around yeah, that, right? bringing yeah. in individuals that actually suffer from endometriosis and menopause. So to make it real, Mm -hmm. um, for them to understand and to be able to react differently in this situation because women can be, you know, we look at the gender pay gap 
potentially these are some of the issues that are causing it to um, to continue to go backwards for women because you know if we have conversations like she's lost it and she's not given an opportunity to move forward within the organization um, that's that's not helping no not at all I mean I wasn't able sadly to attend your workshop this morning but I am assuming it was really quite well received I mean did you get really good feedback questions yeah there actually is somebody came back afterwards and asked us if we were to do this for his for the management team because they feel that this Great. is a really um in a really important place because culturally it needs to start from the top and then move down so mm-hmm. you know managers can talk to their employees that they feel comfortable saying I have endometriosis and there are days of the month that I'm going to struggle yeah I need, I need time and understanding for that, that that will make the entire workplace better. So to, to really start at the top and to bring that down. So yeah, the feedback was really, really positive. Good. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it was lovely talking with you and thank you Good for your to meet time. You. Thanks very much. Nicole. I'm excited for the future for yeah. you. Thank you right, so much. Great. Bye-bye. Thank, you. that concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for PharmaForum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.